Good day, everyone, and welcome back to The Filibuster, the D.C. Democratic Party's podcast where we talk to local and national Democratic leaders about why they are Democrats and what issues are important to them. My name is Charles Wilson, and I'm the chair of the D.C. Democratic Party. We're excited today that our special guest is the Ward 5 Council Member, Mr. Kenyon McDuffie. Council Member, how are you today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me, Charles. No, thank you for joining us. We're looking. Uh, we're really excited about this conversation. Um, so, like I said, we we start our podcast off the same way, and we ask our guests very simple question: Why are you a Democrat? Why am I a Democrat? Well, you know, look, I, I've been a Democrat for as long as I can remember, Charles. I think uh, one big influence uh, is that both my parents. Uh, were, were deeply committed uh, union members. And both worked for government, my mom for the federal government, my dad for uh, DC government. My dad was uh, in union leadership as well. And, and so I grew up seeing that Democratic Party uh, stood for supporting unions and, and working class people. And, and I grew up in, in a small neighborhood in DC, Northeast, that was full of uh, working class uh, people and so so I can't remember ever even considering being anything other than a, a strong, staunch, committed uh, Democrat. Well, we're we're excited that you're definitely a committed member to the party. Um, so let, let's let's get into it. Are there any issues that you're working on now that you're really passionate about? Sure, uh, there are tons of them. Uh, I, I've been really pushing the council. Uh, over the last uh, few years to to really center our work through the lens of racial equity, social justice, and economic inclusion. Uh, in fact, uh, over the last several months of this year, I've been uh, working on passing the Child Wealth Building Act, which uh, you probably heard of as baby bonds. Uh, it's a bill that would give every child born uh, in the District of Columbia into a family uh, with income below 300% of the federal poverty line, a child trust fund. Uh, and upon turning 18, that child could use the money to pursue education, start a business, you know, purchase a home, uh, invest in themselves, invest in retirement, and, and I think things that are truly transformational for a, a population, population of, of people uh, in our city who uh, really just have not had these types of opportunities. And so I'm really proud that we were able to incorporate that into the budget that we passed on the first vote. Uh, just this week, and, and, and I'm hopeful that we'll see that through uh, uh, and, and really change the lives of so many uh, young Washingtonians in the District of Columbia. Awesome. So uh, you mentioned earlier that um, a lot of your focus has been um, on passing legislation that's focused on racial equity. Um, how have your colleagues on the council been receptive um, to this initiative? Oh, they, they have been phenomenal. Uh, the, the Council of the District of Columbia is a very progressive uh, council. In fact, uh, a lot of the work that we uh, are doing around racial equity and economic inclusion started uh, some years ago. Uh, I know there's been more of a focus nationally uh, after the tragic uh, killing of George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, and so many other uh, black people at the hands of law enforcement. Uh, but our work here in the nation's capital and Council of the District of Columbia really started some years ago. Uh, I established a, a working group comprised of a cross-sector of uh, business leaders, nonprofit leaders, people in the philanthropic community, uh, as well as people from government and community residents who are part of this working group. And we 
crafted, uh, uh, I think, a policy that ultimately ended up with uh, the passage of another bill that I'm proud of. It's called the Racial Equity Achieved Results Act, or the REACH Act for short. And so the work of the council uh, has been strong, and, and my colleagues have embraced uh, this work wholeheartedly. Everybody in the council uh, has been trained on racial equity. Uh, and, so, and so I think, you know, really what we're doing here in the nation's capital is a model for other jurisdictions to replicate. Awesome. So I, I know sometimes when you pass legislation, it might take a while to see the fruits of your labor. Um, but over the years, I mean, have you started to see uh, the progress that you're hoping to see? Sure. I mean, obviously, you know, given the the roots of a lot of uh, the challenges that we're seeing today, they, the, 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 the impetus was, you know, decades ago, in mm -hmm. fact, centuries ago. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're still grappling with issues that uh, have resulted from you know, slavery, Jim Crow segregation, um, government sanctioned policies like redlining that that prohibited people of color, primarily black people in the United States from accumulating wealth. And, and now we see these concentrations of poverty mm -hmm. that have resulted in uh, some of the challenges around, for every indicator of success, uh, education, uh, housing, uh, employment, home ownership, health, wealth, and the criminal justice system. And so, uh, you know, things have happened slowly. We're seeing progress, but but obviously we have to uh, double down on our efforts and really expedite the things that we need to do to provide the sort of structural change that's necessary mm -hmm. uh, to close our racial wealth gap in District of Columbia and, and really see uh, people who have grown up in communities that have seen disinvestment over the years, uh, really see a District of Columbia and see a place for themselves. I think mm -hmm. that's part of the challenge that, you know, particularly in wards five, seven, and eight, there are people who've been here for decades uh, who, who just don't see a place for themselves in the future of the District of Columbia. And I've been working really hard to change that. Awesome. Um, you, took, you talked a little bit about baby bonds. Um, for our listeners who this is the first time they're hearing about it. Can you explain what baby bonds are and how it works? Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be happy to, Charles. Mm -hmm. I really think that this is perhaps one of the most significant laws ever passed by the Council of the District of Columbia, uh, and it's going to help to eliminate uh, eventually the council, uh, the district's uh, stark racial wealth gap, mm -hmm. uh, which really drives the deep inequities that we just talked about. And so. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, um, the, the baby bonds uh, bill was something that was really uh, the staple of uh, Senator Cory Booker's presidential run. And what it would do uh, is create child wealth accounts for uh, every child born in the District of Columbia to a family with 300% or less of the federal poverty line. Mm -hmm. uh, it would deposit initially $500 uh, for every child born and, and then uh, with annual payments of up to $1,000 depending on the household income. Uh, and it could translate to, to you know, $15,000, $20,000, $25,000 upon maturity when the child turns 18 years old. And so the funds would be uh, able to be spent by, by those individuals on a number of really important things uh, like putting a down payment on a home, you know, business ownership, uh, investing in a business, uh, investing in your future retirement, stocks, bonds, the stock market. And so those are the types of things that uh, have helped to, to generate wealth in this country uh, that uh, for many 
individuals who've been trapped in poverty uh, haven't been able to avail themselves of those types of opportunities. And so uh, I think it could potentially transformation on the proud that we're moving this forward in the nation's capital. Great. Now, has, has this idea been implemented in any other jurisdiction in the country? Uh, it's been talked about a, a lot. It's been implemented. Uh, the first uh, state to do it uh, is in Connecticut, and, and there are other places that have been looking at it. Um, and, and, and there are other places that are doing creative things, but, but we would be one of the first uh, cities in the country to, to do this. And so uh, when you consider uh, where we are in district appointment, the fact that the median uh, wealth of, of the average white household is is 81 times that of the median wealth of black households. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we need to have a heightened sense of urgency uh, for putting in place really innovative policies that seek to, to reverse uh, some of those trends. The unemployment rate uh, for black Washingtonians in, in the District of Columbia uh, hovers in the double digits uh, in many areas, particularly in Wards 5, uh, 7, and 8, where you see uh, in, in, in Ward 8, which you're very familiar with, obviously, mm -hmm. five times higher than white unemployment uh, here in our city. And so uh, even when it comes to things like business ownership, uh, you know, only 14% of businesses are black-owned, mm -hmm. while 71% of the businesses here in our city are, are owned by white residents. And so uh, we, we need to do things that are going to help to to change the, those types of trends and, and really uh, put people in a position to succeed and give them a sense of hope. And, and I think this is one of the ways uh, that we can do that. Awesome. So you, earlier you talked about um, black Washingtonians not necessarily seeing themselves in the future of the district. And I, I know you and other council members have passed legislation to kind of um, ensure that folks are a part of the future. But where do you think that's coming from? Um, why do you think that is where um, folks who have lived here for a long time don't necessarily see themselves um, in the picture um, for the future of the district? Well, as you know, and, and perhaps uh, others uh, who, who hear this are familiar with the, the, the moniker that the nation's capital was once known as, as Chocolate mm -hmm. City. Uh, and that was around the, the 70s or so where we had a, a population of, of black residents that, that uh, was more than 70%. And if you look at where we are today, uh, still waiting on the accurate uh, census uh, data to come in, but uh, we're, we're somewhere around 46% uh, of the population. By we, I mean black residents. Uh, and the population for uh, white residents has, has been uh, steady rising. And so I think some people see that uh, that once was a city for opportunity you know, post-World War II, you know, black people from the South fled north. Mm -hmm. And Washington, D.C. was one of the places where uh, they, they came and, and they saw opportunity, you know, to get jobs in government, to start businesses, uh, and to raise their families. And, and you know, today, the, the demographics have, have shifted uh, in a way that uh, is meaningful for some people who, who've been here their entire lives and for others who've been here for, for decades. And you know, the reality is, you know, a lot of people uh, have been displaced. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's some research that shows that, that more than uh, 20,000 black residents have been displaced over the last 20 years or so. And, and so uh, it's not just, you know, theory that we're talking about here. It is, it is what's been happening on the ground uh, for so many people who've been placed to the margins of our city and others mm -hmm. who've been placed 
uh, who've been displaced uh, from our city. And so that sense of belonging, that sense of, you know, whether this city uh, is a place for me in the nation's capital does exist for, for thousands of people across uh, our city. Thank you for that insight. Um, I have two more questions. Um, so we just uh, came out of a presidential election cycle um, and we have another election coming up next year. Like, what do you see in, in the future uh, for, the, for district politics? What does it look like to you? Well, you know, I, I'm very hopeful. Uh, I'm hopeful because the work that we've been doing around racial equity, social justice, and economic inclusion uh, is getting traction uh, in the federal government with the election of President Joe Biden. Uh, one of the first things he, he uh, did uh, after being sworn in was to issue an executive order uh, on racial equity. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really discussed nationally by lots of people because it was a bold step, uh, which had not been done uh, in the federal government before. And, and I'm proud to say that we, we were already doing those things mm -hmm. uh, at the, the seat of the federal government in the Capitol uh, with local uh, District of Columbia. And so I'm hopeful for the future of, of politics, both federally, but also uh, locally, because we, we do have uh, a council that understands the need to move uh, things forward, to, to really put in place the types of measures that are going to help to transform people's lives. Uh, the, the, the bottom line is we, we've got to do more uh, and we've got to do it faster when it comes to uh, giving people an opportunity for quality education in their neighborhood. Uh, certain communities uh, find it challenging to be able to do that. Uh, and, and we've got to change that for them. Uh, and changing the, the odds when it comes to education uh, and the opportunity to, to, to get meaningful employment to provide for yourselves and your families uh, has got to be the goal. And, and the way that we've responded in the District of Columbia to the uh, coronavirus, the COVID-19 mm -hmm. pandemic, uh, I think we need to see uh, at least as much a sense of urgency to tackle these intractable issues around gun violence, mm -hmm. uh, around uh, education, as well as employment for uh, our parts of our community that uh, historically have seen high rates of unemployment. So you talked a little bit about uh, gun violence. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, I have to ask because we all know there was an incident um, the other night on 14th Street. Um, you know, something that the folks who live on that side of the city are like, this is unheard of, mm -hmm. but for the most part. Um, whereas east of the Anacostia River, it's almost like a, a way of life. Uh, what, and we heard the police chief uh, talk about accountability um, in, within communities. Um, what do you think is the solution to, to all of this? Um, you know, to... So to pull back on, on, on gun violence in, in the district. Sure. No, I, I appreciate the question. Uh, this, is, this is one of the most urgent issues facing us uh, in our city uh, today. Uh, the tragic uh, loss of uh, little Naya Courtney uh, at the intersection of Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue and Malcolm X Avenue in Southeast D.C. Uh, you know, it's been ringing around the country Mm -hmm. uh, the more recent shooting of two people on 14th Street, uh, as well as the myriad of shootings uh, that have uh, really struck communities across the District of Columbia just yesterday, uh, last night, 
uh, I had to leave my home uh, after 10 p.m. Uh, to go to the scene of a, a, a shooting in Northeast D.C. And, and you know, it is some of the toughest work that I've ever had to face as a council member. Uh, the solution is uh, accountability and opportunity. Accountability and opportunity. Five years ago, we passed landmark legislation in the nation's capital uh, called the Neighborhood Engagement Achieved Results Act. We refer to it as the NEAR Act for short. It was a comprehensive public health-based approach to crime prevention and intervention in the nation's capital. Uh, it has 20 titles, uh, and it is yet to be fully implemented and faithfully administered uh, by the executive. But that solution is accountability and opportunity. You've got to uh, identify those individuals who uh, are committing brazen acts of gun violence in our city, uh, and you've got to hold them accountable. Uh, they need to be arrested, they need to be prosecuted, and they need to be uh, sentenced accordingly. Uh, but you also have to make sure that you are getting into those communities to provide uh, those areas, the people who live there, their families, uh, opportunities. Uh, because those people do not feel like they've been getting the types of opportunities that would help to lift them up. Uh, they don't see the, the pathway to economic success, and, and we've got to do a better job of connecting them. Uh, the NERAC would uh, identify those individuals who are most likely to commit gun violence and, and be the victims of gun violence uh, and get them off the street, put them in a classroom setting, connect them with a mentor, uh, give them workforce development training, and pay them a stipend uh, so long as they're successfully participating. Uh, and, and that post, uh, you know, uh, employment opportunities that they're going to need after they come through that classroom setting are absolutely key. We've seen some success uh, through this type of program, uh, but there are, uh, you know, a comprehensive homicide elimination uh, task force has yet to be fully implemented. Uh, the work that should be happening in the Office of uh, Violence Prevention and Health Equity has yet to be fully implemented. And, and, and truthfully, uh, the comprehensive strategies that many people talk about are necessary already exist, uh, and it exists in the form of the NEAR Act. Great. So you, you talked about a number of issues that I'm sure there are district residents uh, around the city who would be interested in helping. If they wanted to help, um, if they had ideas that they wanted to share, what, was, what would be the best avenue for them to get involved? Uh, they need to raise their voices. Um, they need to come out and participate when we have council hearings. There's a hearing next week uh, that's going to tackle this tough gun violence issue. Uh, but there are a host of hearings that we have that we would love to make sure that uh, the legislation that we work on the District of Columbia Council is representative of the diversity, the beautiful diversity that exists in our city. Uh, if you see something, say something. Uh, if there are things that you think your community should be doing that it isn't currently doing, reach out to your council member uh, and, and, and please give them a call. Uh, let them know. Uh, what more they should be doing to, to make their community uh, safer and healthier. Uh, ultimately, uh, you know, we are, elect, as elected officials, uh, representatives, trustees of the people who put us in office, and it's important that we never forget that. And so, you know, for people who would like to get involved, I would ask them to reach out to me. Uh, you know, I'm available on social media. Uh, my name is Kenya McDuffie. Obviously, I represent Ward 5, but I chair the Committee on Business and Economic Development. And uh, it has touch points throughout 
the entire city. And so uh, we want people to get involved, Charles. Uh, I think it's absolutely important. It's fundamental to democracy, uh, at least successful democracies. And, and so uh, I would encourage people to, to really elevate their voices, uh, and especially when it comes to uh, gun violence. Uh, we need to collectively uh, express our outrage when that happens, regardless of where it happens. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you live in Congress Heights, uh, you live in uh, Woodridge, or you live in Forest Hills uh, or Tellytown. Uh, we need to collectively express our outrage at the gun violence that's occurring and make sure that everybody has the opportunity to succeed in our city. Uh, your zip code should not uh, define your success in the nation's capital, but sadly for too many people it does. So, Councilmember McDuffie, thank you so much for joining us today on The Filibuster. Absolutely. Uh, at, at the end of our podcast, we always allow our guests a few moments uh, to give some parting words to our listeners. Is there anything you want to leave us with today? Uh, just stand off. Uh, I am uh, speaking to you all now uh, from the living room in the home where I grew up. Uh, it's a home that my grandparents bought uh, back in 1952. Uh, merely four years after the landmark Supreme Court case in Shelley v. Kramer that uh, said that the federal government could no longer enforce racially restrictive covenants. Uh, and my grandparents uh, saw hope and opportunity when they purchased that home uh, all those years ago. Uh, well, uh, nearly 70 years later, my wife and I are raising our two daughters right here in this same community of Stronghold. Uh, I know what opportunity looks like. Uh, I experienced it uh, after, you know, uh, getting the opportunity to carry mail for the Postal Service, uh, saving up and being able to pay my way back to, to college and graduate from Howard University. Uh, but for far too many people in our city, they don't get that opportunity. They don't see that hope. And we need people to be involved in our city uh, and really come together more as a community uh, to address some of these intractable issues that have plagued us for far too long. I think we can do it. I know we can do it uh, so long as we are together. So I really appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you, Charles, and, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Thank you so much, and you're always welcome back. Absolutely. Take care. All right.